You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. That is a clip that has uh, terrified many children for about 25, 30 years. Not by his character, just the sight of David Bowie in tights for an hour and a half. (laughs) It's just been terrifying. But if you haven't seen that clip, you don't know where it's from. It's from uh, the movie Labyrinth. Their young Sarah, it's the final scene. Uh, She's gone after this, uh, through this crazy labyrinth. Uh, her, her little brother Toby has been stolen by Bowie, the Goblin King, resides at the castle beyond the Goblin City. And she goes through uh, unnumbered hardships, dangers untold. She fought away to the Goblin City in order to confront the Goblin King who had this child captured. And she says, give me the child. And therein she wrestles with Jareth, uh, the Goblin King, and realises through a story that she'd written, that she'd read long before she ever got into this fantasy world, uh, she realises that there was a line there that was a key to all of their freedom. She stares him in the face and says, you have no power over me. It is a wonderful story of the 80s, right? <laughs> and um, look, what, what, if, what, if there, what if there was a real... Goblin king, I, I mean a ruler of this world, uh, an, an evil king, uh, one who lures people in, one who has kept the children captive, one who promises children everything they want if they would just submit to him, let him rule them and he would be a slave to us. What if our problem was that we forgot the very line that might bring us freedom? Um. What if we've forgotten how the story really should end? Well, that's just a story, right? So let's read the Bible. John chapter 17, verses 6 through to 19. I have revealed you uh, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect, protect them by the power of your name the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. No one has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer It's not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you've sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. I had a conversation with a guy the other day who was just, randomly and he came in having a bit of a chat in the foyer and uh, 
we were just talking about matters of religion and he's not a churchgoer, but he just walked past the place and he was saying phrases like, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm just feeling like I, I'm, I'm trying to be a good father and I'm trying to be a good husband and I'm trying to show God that I'm a good person. And I don't know about you, but I think that's how a lot of people perceive what Christianity is all about, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. But where do we get that from? I, I, I mean, look, realistically, you're not, a, you're not a Christian until you understand that Jesus was a blues brother. Verses 6, 7 and 8. <laughs> now, now, now they know everything, has, everything you've given me has come from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me. And they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. And what's Jesus saying there? I'm on a secret mission from God. I'm a blues brother. And, and I, we talked about it last week. I said that, uh, that part of the reason why I think people, you might even be thinking that, that look, you know, uh, to be a Christian is to, to try hard and to be good. And you might have gotten that because there's one of two different ways that you can view the Bible. You can view the Bible like all those funny little letters on a fridge, almost like a little medicine chest of good sayings it could have, little proverbial comforts that you could have when life's getting tough. And, and so you, I don't know if you've ever done this, but you sort of shotgun the Bible. You sort of, you sort of flick through and you try there and you try there and you try there and, and, and hopefully you hit an, a particular verse that gives you comfort, right? Or, or the other way that you could do it is you read the Bible as one giant plot line, one story. I mean, what would, what would, what would it read like if the Bible was one single coherent plot line of what God is doing in the world? You know, it would be creation, fall, redemption, consummation. They're big words, aren't they? Uh, it'd be like, how do I put it? The story would go like this. Things were good. We were together with God. We were all at peace. And then something went terribly wrong. The child was captured and placed into the goblin city. And, and, and throughout history, God has been trying to break into the world, uh, seeking to rescue us from the clutches of the goblin king. And, and, and through many attempts, through different people and different parts and twists in the great labyrinth of life, through dangers untold, hardships unnumbered. I fought my way back to the goblin castle to take back the child you have stolen, goblin king, for my will is strong and my kingdom is great. Oh, I'm getting carried away again, aren't I? Sorry. Sorry. It's not all a big story, is it? It's not all 1980s childhood flicks. Look, here's how you should read the Bible. Jesus gave us the definition in this sense. Verse 8. <laughs> For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you had sent me. What Jesus is saying there, and this is how you've got to read the Bible, that's a definition of what it means to be a Christian. Is that when you read the Bible like that, you see the Christian's not someone who has to pray harder or do things harder or go to church more or pray more or to do more. Rather, a Christian is to believe that God himself has broken into the great adventure that is this world. God himself in the person of Jesus he sends himself in the person of Jesus, not an Abraham, not a Moses, not a David, not all the great characters that we've been reading about and, and, and learning about in this Wallflower series. Jesus, he sends him on a mission to achieve a rescue for us that we couldn't do ourselves. And then that Jesus, 
Verse 18 says, as you've sent me into the world, I send them into the world. Jesus sends us out to be a part of this rescue story. And so in other words, to be a Christian is to be on mission. <laughs> and, and, and you see, here's the thing. If, if, if Jesus was on a mission to renew the world, that's what's happening here, then what does it mean for us? Four, four quick applications tonight. Um, um, I'm thinking, look, as a side note, we could be a real note-taking church tonight. I, I don't know about you. I'll throw it out there. I'll drop a little bit of a seed. But look, if, we're, if this is of God and not of me, then you know, whatever God is teaching you, it might not be what's on the slides tonight. But if something comes to you, I encourage you to write it down. First one, mission. And the reason you've got to write it down is I didn't rhyme my slides tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's been a big week and I didn't rhyme. So you're just going to have to write this down. <laughs> Uh, here's the first thing. Look, if Jesus is from God, if Jesus is sent by God, if Jesus is on a mission to renew the world, then here's the first thing. Mission is not a department of the church. It's your directive as a believer. <laughs> Jesus didn't say, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending those who are more towards the left wing of the political agenda. Uh, he didn't say, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending those with bleeding hearts. He, he didn't say, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending a committee. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending a team. Or he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's talking to his disciples. He said, all of you. And so what it means is that mission is not a department of the church. Here's the question. Why did Christianity explode 3,000 or 2,000 years ago? We, we, we see this incredible situation where just after this prayer, uh, this conversation at the center of the universe in John 17, Jesus talking to his father, not long after this upper room discourse, you know, Peter, one of these fishermen, uh, goes to the colonnades of Solomon's temple and he preaches and it says 3,000 people were added to their number in a day. Talk about headache for rosters. <sighs> And, and, and the church grows and it gets bigger. It's gone from 12 to 3,000. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one of the other guys, Stephen, one of the apostles, he gets killed. He gets martyred. There's this guy called Saul who was later Paul looking over it. And it says a great persecution broke out against the church and everyone scattered. Like a whole bunch of hundreds and thousands falling upon the kitchen floor. And the church went everywhere. Now, what happened? What happened when that happened? When the church went every, every, everywhere, it now meant that everyone was responsible for mission. It now meant that every believer was responsible for reaching out to their next door neighbor. It meant every believer was responsible for learning about what the gospel meant. It meant every believer was responsible for sharing that. It meant every believer was responsible for doing the deeds of God and his mission in that sense. And so here's, here's the great thing that I got out of it tonight, out of the word tonight in that sense. It means, look, just because, you, just because you haven't been on a mission trip doesn't mean that you can't be in mission. The laity, everyday people of the church like you, not the ministers like me, were responsible for teaching and preaching and gathering and leading. You're responsible. And so Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. Go from Crow's Nest to Sydney to New South Wales to Australia to the rest of the world. That's what he was saying. If the whole Bible has been, that's what we've been learning about is God's mission, then he calls you into that. And it means that mission can't be a department of your life and it can't be a department of the church. It's not up to Sarah and her Beyond Northside team to do that for us. Everyone's responsible because to be a Christian is to be in mission. Here's the second one. Mission's not just evangelism, but it's playing your part in rehabbing the world. 
in Return of the King, and I, I told you I'd come back to some more of Return of the King last week from Lord of the Rings. Samwise Gamgee says to Frodo, do you remember, remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It'll be spring soon and the orchards will be in blossom and the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket and the whistle in the summer barley in the lower fields and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of sweet strawberries? Frodo says, no, Sam, I can't recall the taste of food nor the sound of water nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark. There's nothing no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see him with my waking eyes. Samwise says, then let us be rid of it once and for all. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Come on. <laughs> Jesus then, he, he, he Samwises us. We just got Samwised by Jesus. You ready? Verse 15. My prayer is that not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> is it funny? There's so many Christians in the world that sort of, they, they live by the exact opposite of that, that statement. They feel that just be, if I'm a believer, then, then God's somehow going to um, suck us up like those canisters at Woolworths with the cash, you know, up into the roof, up into heaven. We're going to just get, get sucked up out of here and, and, and away from this evil, horrible world in this sense. But Jesus is Samwising us. See, look, if you, here's the thing. If you read the Bible individualistically, it's a little medicine chest of little proverbs and good sayings, you know, rather than the breaking in of this kingdom of Jesus's. Uh, then then God's, you know, God's plan, you know, individualistically, God's plan is that, well, just to save souls, to suck them up to heaven and to hell with everyone else. But if it's a kingdom breaking in, then there's, there's something more, there's something deeper. He's saying, I'm not taking you out of the world. I want you to go into unworld the world. You see, world, as John describes it, is, is, you know, when he's saying the world, he's not saying bad people or evil people. When he defines world, he means people who are not living under the kingship of God. People who are not living life the way that God is meant to be lived. Uh, where desires and ways of living and thinking remain unchecked. And Jesus says, no, I send you into that to change that. The funny thing is, too, if you look at the end of the Bible, you actually see not that you know, the, the believers getting sucked up in the woolies tubes up into heaven, but you, you actually see the city of God itself descending on the world. Not that we go to heaven, but that heaven comes to us. This is, this is radically different than how so many of the other world's religions uh, think. Because here's what it does to us. Here's, here's the practical outworking of that. Here's what it means. It means that the mission can include your everyday roles or your job. I mean, going to work tomorrow could be part of your mission. If Jesus is saying that our job is to unworld the world, if we're no longer thinking about what button do I press to get into heaven, but if it's God breaking into the world, it means what happens if God unworlded the banking sector? I think if he unworlded the banking sector, um, they'd actually pass on the interest rates when, when it goes down. That's just one practical outworking of the kingdom of God, so we're still praying for that. But um, you know, what, if, what if God unworlded the arts? What if, what if we, through the power of Jesus Christ, unworlded the arts? What, you know, what, what if we um, unworlded the newspapers of this world? What sort of stories would we begin to start seeing on the front page? It's possible because it's Christians who inhabit the very places that make the headlines or make the decisions about interest rates or, 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 or make the paintings or make the musical statements. And God says, I'm sending you into that. 
And so what it means for you tonight, guys, is that you have a part to play in unworlding the world around you. And see, without looking to that whole picture, our temptation is that we want to run away from that. We want to flee from that. And funnily enough, most people think, well, if I'm really going to do God's work, then I need to be a minister. Don't think that. Don't think that at all because every time you see the world falling apart in the Bible, God says, get in. Moses sees a burning bush. The Egypt, Egypt, uh, Egypt has Israel under slavery and God says, get in. You, you, you see in, in, in Daniel, the Israelites are in exile. They're under Babylonian captivity instead of you know, trying to move back to Jerusalem. God says, no, get in. You see in David, the people are under military oppression and God says to David, get in. Look, wherever you see the world falling apart in the Bible, you see the people of God getting in. And in a simple sense too, guys, why leave it up to the body shop of all places to build orphanages and to rehab the world? We are the only business, we're the only organisation in the world, the church that exists for the benefit of of its non-members. It's not just converting people. We're, we're playing a part to rehab. Why, why else are we doing Hope Month? Why do we turn sausages down at Glebe on Saturday? Why do we go and do backyard blitzes? We're just trying to rehab the world. Here's the other one. Mission is achieved through your part in a counter-cultural community. And we'll uncover a bit more of that next week, so I'll go through quickly here. But you see, again, if you're thinking of, of Christianity as a treasure chest of little, um, little pop sayings and quotes from the Bible, um, instead of looking at the, the, the big picture of the kingdom of God breaking into the world, then here's, here's what happens. Church, church just becomes a support group. Church is just a support group from here into eternity. A place to hang out and get a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of common interest. And if it's just about we're already saved, we're waiting to go to heaven, church is just God's waiting room in the doctor's surgery. But if it's, if, it's, if it's the kingdom of God coming to renew the world, it means that Jesus didn't come to earth to leave a book or to leave a religion, but rather he began to form a new community. A, a new community who were to show the world how life was truly meant to be lived. I mean, look at verse 17 here. It sounds a bit weird and we'll get to it, but... It says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them. What is he going on about there? Sanctify them. It means to make. He's saying, God, make them different by the truth of your word. Make make them stand out. Make them not like the rest. In other words, what what Jesus was saying is that the church should be a countercultural glimpse of God's future. A new community, if you way, a community created to, to show the world the wonder of what it could look like if sex and if money and if power were used God's way and not our way. A community brought together to show the world what happens when good things stay good things and not ultimate things by being subordinated to the ways of God. Look, let's get practical. Water coolers bunch of guys talking about their Friday night exploits and you instead say that you choose not to get physically naked unless you've been emotionally naked first in the context of marriage the cafe gathering your friends they ridicule you they have a laugh because you give your money to the church when you could spend it on shoes and in that you say no, look 
friends, you've got to understand it's because uh, I'm no servant to money. Money's a servant to me and God's kingdom purposes. It's the school playground when you're around recess and it's Monday morning and everyone's asked you what you got up to on the weekend and he said, I went to church. And they laugh for a little bit. But you say, it's, yeah, well, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not as weird as you think and you get a real sense of that there's something bigger than what we're doing here, right? Have you ever thought like that? You see, see what, are you, what are you doing when these conversations happen? You know what you're doing? You're being sanctified by the truth. When this word that you're hearing tonight beds into your heart to the extent that your mind and your heart is so changed that you're different. Not, not obnoxiously different. Lots of Christians do a good enough job of that already, so we need not do that at Northside. Not obnoxiously different, but wonderfully different. Curiously different. Pleasantly different. Otherworldly different. And therefore, you know, here's, here's the funny thing. Look, side note. Uh, I, I think a lot of people believe or, or find Christianity alluring, but they find it hard to believe because they haven't seen enough of that difference. Uh, they're interested. They, they'll check it out. They can almost sort of get the otherworldliness of it, but they've never seen someone sanctified enough. And so for each of us, it actually shows that our own holiness and how we live our lives is actually part of our mission to the world, that we're different and, and, and so, look, back to, the, back, to the, back to the bigger picture. Look, church is therefore not a support group. Look, I'm not saying you're not going to get support in the church. It's one of the most supporting places in the church, but that's not why we exist. Uh, we, we exist to support each other and to remind each other and to encourage each other to be sanctified by the truth of God. Not, and you know what that means for you? It, it means you're going to have a much bigger picture this week. You know, if mission is about creating this countercultural community, you have a whole new reason why you do church now. You know, it's, it's, you need not go thinking next week that, oh, it's just because I have to turn up on Sunday. Or I have to do Connect this week. Or I should go talk to that guest that I can see over there and I haven't spoken to them before. Should do that. No, you know, you know instead you're saying, how can I create? How can I be part of creating a place in the world that is, is going to show people how family life and interracial relationships can be gathered together and totally defy what normally happens around from a Monday to Friday? To show the way that money can be used, to show the way that unity can be bred in, in a community of people of so much differences. See, you guys can think next week when you come here and you're driving in your, in, in your cars or maybe you're thinking it's four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Am I even going to turn up to church on Sunday night? Really, the real question for you is not, oh, should I turn up? It should be, how am I creating a counter-cultural community of the kingdom? A place that's different. Finally, it means <laughs> you're actually part of the story. Mission means that you're part of the story. Verse 15 again. I can't get over it. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Um, why is Jesus starting to talk like that? It's interesting language, isn't it? The evil one. Ooh. Uh, I mean, isn't he supposed to be talking about good teachings and heal the world, make it a better place? Oh, that was Michael Jackson, not Jesus. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you know, why, why is Jesus starting to get into the, you know, the big 
big sort of interesting stuff, kingdoms and evil ones. And why, why is he supposed to? I didn't think Christianity was about that. You know, why does he go on and say things like this in John 9, 19 with shackles around his hands? And he says, chatting to Pilate. Pilate says, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power to either to free you or to kill you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Why is he speaking like that? Why is he speaking like this in, 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 in just a couple of chapters earlier, uh, in, in, in chapter 14, verses 30, where he says, I w- he says to the boys, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. And listen to what he says. He has no power over me. What's he getting at? He's getting at that scene that's been haunting me since I was four years old. She says, give me the child. Give me the child. Through dangers untold and hardships unnumbered, I've fought my way here to the castle beyond the goblin city to take back the child that you have stolen. For my will is as strong as yours and my kingdom is great. For my will is strong as yours and my kingdom is great. Damn, I can never remember that line you have no power over me. <laughs> why, why? I don't know. I don't know if it gets you as much. Maybe I've just got an obsession with 80s films, but what, I'm thinking, like, why, does, why does it get me? And if I need help, feel free to pray for me at the end of the service. But <laughs> why does it get me? I don't know. Let me ask you, does it at least arouse something within your heart when you see those scenes? You know, that just something deeper. You know, why does it do that to us? Because it's a well-written story? no. Because the, because the story of the labyrinth is not as far-fetched as you really think. A, a child held captive by the power of a goblin king suddenly is the sole objective of a hidden rescue. One person driven by a ferocious love endures a labyrinth full of trials and of hardships and of temptation in order to win back the one that they love from the clutches of evil. You, know, you think it's that far-fetched? No. If, if you didn't know... That's the gospel. That's the message of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what he's done. The gospel's a story under every great story, under every great movie. And at the cross, Jesus stared the real goblin king in the face. And when he was pinned from hand to hand, he said, Give me my child, for my will is as strong as yours. And my kingdom is great. And he stared sin and death and the goblin king Satan in the face. And he said, it is finished. You have no power over me. The mission of Jesus is this. He went through the ultimate labyrinth to take you back as his precious child. And that precious child is not some fictitious character of a 1980s movie. It's you. It's you. And so I've got one of two questions tonight. First one's for those people. Are you under the spell of the Goblin King? <laughs> can you see the story for Christianity? Can you see the story for what it really is? It's not that far-fetched. You know, are the echoes of the Lord of the Rings, Labyrinth, whatever you want to call it, you know, why, do they, why are they stirring your heart? Do they stir your heart? Is it possible that there's a world other than this out there? Is it possible that someone has been on a single-handed mission of ferocious love in order to win you back? If it's possible then you're on the beginning of a faith journey and faith in Jesus Christ, a journey in which, hey, it's going to take a, 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 a 
chance for you to think about your thinking. Repent. That's what it means to think about your thinking. If you hear this, you, you look into this book and like Sarah in that movie recognizes that there are lines deeper than this, this life. There are truths deeper than this life. And you've sort of known it in your soul, but you could never put your finger upon it. And I've got to ask you, if, if you're that sort of person tonight, why are you here? How did you get here? Because mission, you're always part of the story. And he's been after you all along. Friend, if you're a Christian, are you, are you forgetting this? Have you almost forgotten the story like Sarah in the labyrinth? Do you stand face to face each week with the goblin king, trying to remember those lines, trying to remember that you were here for a reason and a purpose this week? His mission was to rescue you so that your mission would be through him to rescue other people from the spells and the clutches of the goblin king. That's what a Christian is. We're on mission in the labyrinth. So friends, the Bible is the book that we read. It reminds us of why we are here. It reminds us of the fact that he's not home. It's a fantasy world that's ruled by the goblin king until the real king comes back for us. But in the meantime, all of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ can look that goblin king in the face and say, you have no power over me. Let's pray.